what we're going to be reading about today and learning about today is an amazing, crazy sea story. Um, I would probably rank it up there in the top three. Um, number one, again, is, is Jesus' sea story when he, a couple of those stories, when he walked on water and when he calmed the waters. Um, but this one is, is right up there in Jonah. Um, as we know, Paul has some, had some pretty crazy sea stories. But uh, yeah, that's, we're going to be talking, reading about um, Jonah's sea story here. Uh, and so, but when we last saw him, Jonah had been commanded by God to get up, go to the great city of Nineveh, and preach against it because their evil has come up against me. However, instead of going to Nineveh, where did Jonah go? He went down to Joppa, boarded a ship, and began to make his way in the complete opposite direction towards uh, Tarshish. He didn't want anything to do with God's plan for him and the Ninevites, and thought it'd be best to just run from God, run from God's calling rather than to obey him. This morning, we're going to be seeing the dramatic events that occurred while Jonah was on this boat and how the other sailors were affected by his decision to run and to hide. As a result, desperate, as a result desperate measures had to be taken and Jonah soon found himself swimming to save his life instead of running to start a new one. So as we go through the rest of this chapter today, what I hope sticks out to you the most is this. I mean, I'm sure that there'll be other things that the Lord will speak to you about. But this is what I also hope that sticks out to you. Number one, you'll never rest well when others are fighting the storm created by disobedience. You may be able to sleep comfortably at night, but it doesn't mean that those closest to you are. And unfortunately, when all other options have been exhausted, and hope has been lost, there's only one thing that must be done. Sacrifice the one in order to save the many. Or, in other words, it's better to throw one person overboard than to allow the entire crew to perish. So before I begin reading, uh, let's ask the Lord to speak to us um, in prayer. Lord Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us this morning to be here right now, to hear your word, to hear this message that you've given me to share. Lord, I thank you for bringing everyone here safely. And I just pray that you speak to them personally, whatever message it is, Lord, that you want to you tell them, that you have for them, Lord. We thank you for being such a wonderful and good father to us, a father that never fails, a father that is willing to give us wisdom and advice and give us love that maybe our own fathers have never given us, our earthly fathers haven't given us. So now as we read about Jonah's sea story, Lord, May we see Jesus Christ here. 
Soften our hearts and our minds right now. Fill this room with your Holy Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So again, we'll be in Jonah chapter 1. And last week we covered the first three verses. Now we're going to be continuing on to ch in, in verse 4. Jonah chapter 1, verse 4. And there it says, But the Lord threw a great wind onto the sea, and such a great storm arose on the sea that the ship threatened to break apart. The sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his God. They threw the ship's cargo into the sea to lighten the load. Meanwhile, Jonah had gone down into the lowest part of the vessel and had stretched out and fallen into a deep sleep. The captain approached him and said, What are you doing sound asleep? Get up! Call your God. Maybe this God will consider us and we won't perish. Come on, the sailors said to each other. Let's cast lots. Then we'll know who's to blame for this trouble we're in. So they cast lots and the lot singled out Jonah. Then they said to him, tell us who is to blame for this trouble we're in. What is, what is, what is your business and where are you from? What is your country and what people are you from? He answered them, I'm a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of heavens, who made the sea and the dry land. But our passage begins by uh, the writer turning our attention to the sailors and the captain of the storm-bound ship and their situation in relation to Yahweh and Jonah. Immediately, we learned that this wasn't some ordinary natural storm. But rather, it was a storm created by the Lord that was so severe that the, ship, that the ship threatened to break apart. Now, it would be safe to assume that the majority of the men on this ship were salty, experienced sailors. They probably had years of experience of being out to the sea and have been through all kinds of storms, had weathered you know, the winters, out in sea, I mean, they probably have been through it all. And, you know, had probably had their own stories. However, again, for them, this storm was unlike anything any of them had, any, had ever experienced or had gone through. The storm terrified them so much that we're told that each one cried out to their own God. Imagine that, just a bunch of salty sailors. And I'm picturing, when I, when I picture this, I'm picturing, these, when I'm picturing these sailors, I'm picturing those um, animated or those figures in, in Pirates of the Caribbean in Disneyland. You know, just singing, ho, 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 ho. You know, I mean, they're just experienced, crazy people, crazy um, sailors. Well, again, they freak out so much that each one starts praying to their own God. This tells us that the crew of this ship probably consisted of men of diverse cultures, ethnic backgrounds, and had their, they had their own family and city gods. They hoped that by, each, that by each person making supplications to their gods, maybe one of them would be able to influence the god that was responsible for the storm. Now when they began to realize that none of those gods were listening, 
but they were all just, there were no, none of their gods were true gods. And they, again, they were just deaf to their prayers. They started to take matters into their, into their own hands to save themselves. So to avoid sinking with the ship, they threw the ship's cargo into the sea to lighten the load. This meant throwing out all the valuable mer merchandise they were carrying, all the valuable merchandise that would have made them a living, that they sold, that they bartered, that they traded in order to support themselves, their lifestyles, um, maybe to support their families. Um, but they threw it all out. They threw it overboard. For them, to do that tells us how crazy, how chaotic the situation was and how desperate they were to survive. Yet, in all that chaos, the end of verse 5 tells us that Jonah had gone down to the lowest part of the vessel, the lowest part of the ship, and had stretched out and fallen into a deep sleep. Now, Jonah may have well been sleeping due to exhaustion. Maybe he was just tired from that trip from Gethhefer down to Joppa. Uh, maybe he just, just stressed out from uh, running from God. Or, um, may, or maybe he was just sleeping off the, the seasickness. But it's also quite possible that, that since he had gotten this far from God, maybe he believed that God would just leave him alone that God had just left them alone and now he was just able to sleep and relax and not worry about what the Lord had asked him to do. Maybe again, he thought there wouldn't be any consequences for his, to his disobedience, for his disobedience. So he got comfortable by resting and sleeping down in the lowest part of the ship completely oblivious to the chaos, the prayers, the work, and the danger going on on the top deck of the ship. However, little did he know that his deep sleep would soon turn into deep waters. Verses 6 through 8 tell us how the captain of the ship, the ship and the crew turned their attention to, his, uh, to the sleeping and mysterious passenger that they had allowed uh, on their ship. Now, on that ship, on any ship, the captain is responsible for the vessel and that everyone on board is safe and accounted for. So as he's assessing the damage um, of the ship, or maybe looking for a missing passenger that he, that he discovered. When he gets to the lower part, lowest part of the ship, he finds Jonah there. He finds Jonah there completely racked out, completely sleeping. Now can you imagine what was going through his mind or what was going through his head, what he really wanted to say to Jonah? But no, this is what he says in his frustration and his anger. Verse 6 says that the captain approached him and said, what are you doing sound asleep? Get up, call to your God. Maybe this God will consider us and we won't perish. See, the captain knew that Jonah 
would be of no use to him. He didn't, Jonah didn't have any sea experience. He wasn't a sailor. He probably would just be in the way of what the other sailors were trying to do to save the ship. So that's why he probably just told them, you know what, just pray. Just stay, you know, just pray. Pray to your God and maybe he'll save us. Perhaps the captain thought Jonah's God would do something about the crisis. In the meantime, up on the top deck, the sailors cast lots to determine which one of them needed to confess their offense, his offense to God. This suggests a couple things. Number one, all the sailors were convinced that the storm was divine in nature. And two, private confession was no longer acceptable. They realized, yeah, you know, these prayers, no, God isn't answering these prayers, so we need to, you know, take matters into our own hands. You see, they were all heathen sailors, and they all knew someone was guilty of, some, of something. So they figured someone must have really screwed up. Someone must have really done something so horrible that that particular God, small g, not the big g, but small g, that that God was angry at that person. And so, I mean, again, if you know, I, I've, I've known my fair share of Navy sailors and Marines that have done some pretty crazy things and, and all of them, including me, have some pretty crazy stories. But they, someone must have done something really, really bad. So all of them were probably shocked when their sleepy and mysterious pan passenger drew the short end of the stick. At that moment, even though there was a storm going on all around them, you could probably hear a pin drop. And everyone's attention shifted from the storm to Jonah, and they immediately began to interrogate him. Jonah, by this point, probably realized that if he was going to die, then he may as well die telling the truth. So in verse 9, he does exactly that. Jonah exposes his true self. Jonah's response is short and to the point. He first identifies himself as a Hebrew. This initial comment, comment answers several of their questions. But for Jonah, it serves as an introduction to, the following, to his following comment. The Lord, the God of heavens, who made the sea and the dry land. This bold and strong answer made them realize that Jonah wasn't serving some mere local deity, but rather a greater one with direct jurisdiction over the sea. Now before I move on with the rest of the story, with the next part of the story, I want to share with you some important lessons that I believe that we can learn from these first nine verses. Firstly, calming the waters. And although he can, and many times will, God can also stir up the storm. Why? Why would he do that, you may be asking? God will create storms at times to shake us, in order to wake us. 
In other words, to get our attention and show us that he's in control. Paul Chappelle, or Chappelle said this, often, often we become apathetic in our lives until we face a severe storm, whether loss of a job, health crisis, loss of a loved one, or financial struggle. God often brings storms into our lives to change our perspective, to shift the focus from ourselves and our lives to Him. Sadly though, many Christians are living in a state of spiritual sleep and are completely oblivious to what's really going on around them. Let me give you some examples of what, of what sleeping Christians look like. These sleeping, sleeping Christians would rather remain anonymous and hide in the church than to wake up and do something, to be active, to be involved, to let others know who they are. These sleeping Christians would rather skip corporate worship and prayer and church altogether than join with others in asking for God's forgiveness and intervention. These sleeping Christians would rather remain ignorant than make an intentional effort to recognize the problem, a problem, and find the solution to it. And lastly, sleeping Christians would rather remain undisturbed, undisturbed than to help the heathen who is in need. So here's a question I want you to honestly ask yourself. Are you a sleeping Christian? If so, then let me tell you what the captain told Jonah. What are you doing sound asleep? Get up, call to your God. In Romans 3.11, it says, it's already the hour for you to wake up from sleep. There's a storm outside, and not only are your prayers needed, but your but your God, our God, has given you spiritual talents that are needed as well. <coughs> Outside these walls, there's a dying world. There's a dying world that needs you. There are many within these walls, within the church, who are tired, exhausted, and need some relief. And they need you. And as the captain of this particular ship, of this church, this small church, as small as it is, I need you. Charles Spurgeon described how the believer might know that he is not asleep. What do you mean, what, what do you mean by, a man, by a man's being really awake? I mean two or three things. I mean first, his having a thorough consciousness of the reality of spiritual things. When I speak of a wokeful man, I mean one who does not take a fancy, nor heaven to be a fiction, or hell to be a tell, but who acts among the sons of men as though these were the only substances, and all other things the shadows. I want men of stern resolution, for no Christian is awake unless he steadfastly determines to serve God, come fair 
come foul. Lesson two, others around you will be affected by this storm that God meant for you. Sure, the, the sailors were heathen, sail, or heathen sinners and deserved the punishment for their sins, deserved what was coming to them for everything, all the wickedness they had done. But for the most part, we have to remember that it wasn't them God was after. It wasn't them that God was, God's attention wasn't solely focused on them. God was after one of his own. And they were just unintentional passengers taken by Yahweh's strong, loving winds of mercy. In God's infinite wisdom, others are often caught in a tumultuous storm winds that he created specifically for you. They may experience the worst of it as you sleep through it, but if they don't give up, they'll come out of the storm different than they went in. And at the end of the storm, whoever that person is or whoever that those people are will be transformed and their lives will never be the same. And I can tell you again from my personal experience, there was a long time where I was a sleeping Christian. And you know who felt the storm of that God created specifically for me? It was my wife and my children. They went, man, they were battered and they were thrown you know, all over the, the, the place, but they never gave up. They continued to pray for me. They continued to love me, even though at times it was really, really hard. But you can talk to them later, but you know, my wife will tell you that she came out of the storm different than she went into it. Her life, our lives were never the same. The same principle applies to you. If you're the one experienced the brunt of the storm meant for someone close to you, don't stop praying. Keep doing the work that God's called you to do and continue to remain hopeful. Don't lose hope that the storm will pass. It will pass. And things will be completely different if you just continue to hold on. But also, be aware of this, that before it does, you may have to sacrifice a lot. You may have to let go of something or even someone and, uh, someone and leave it, him or her, in the hands of a just and holy God. And again, that was just something that eventually you know, had to be done with me as well. Lord, I leave that, per I, you know, I had to get to a point where God, where Robin just had to, Lord, this, I'm going to have to leave him in your hands. I can't. If we keep him on the ship, it's just going to make it worse. We're all going to, we're not going to survive. So I had to, I guess, he's metaphorically be thrown overboard. Again, 
It may, have a, it may come a time when that may have to happen and you have to leave that person in the hands of God. And lesson three, it's only a matter of time before the truth about who you really are is or will be exposed. Had God chosen to give up on, jo on Jonah, the prophet would have made it to Tarshish, Tarshish as an anonymous passenger. But he didn't. He didn't give up on Jonah. And no matter how much Jonah tried to conceal his true identity, eventually the truth about who he was and what he did would be revealed. Listen again to the words of Jonah. I'm a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of heavens, who made the sea and the dry land. As a prophet who had indisputably heard the Lord speak to him, denying God would have made things worse for him, for, not just for himself, but for everyone else on that ship. Now, I honestly believe that anyone who truly has the Holy Spirit living in them, even if they're running, even if they're hiding, will not be able to deny God without being convicted about it, without there being a sense of, of man, I just I feel horrible about just saying to this person or just saying, yeah, no, I, I'm not a Christian or I don't believe or whatever it may be. That There has to be that sense of conviction in there. Why? Because God's Spirit is truth. And denying what is truth, what is true, is like saying one plus one equals three, or that a triangle has four sides. If you remember Peter, again, I mentioned him last week, but after Peter had denied Jesus, we're told that he wept bitterly. See, he was crushed not because he remembered what Jesus said, that remembered what Jesus said he would do, but because he had denied the Messiah who he personally knew, who he personally had a relationship. I mean, they slept side by side many, many nights. They experienced the miracles together. They probably cried together, laughed together. They had that personal relationship. And Peter also came to a point where he believed in him. And that's why he wept bitterly. Jesus said in John 14, 16 through 17, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. He is the spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because it does not see him or know him. But you do know him because he remains with you and will be in you. Now let me follow that up with something else Paul said in Romans 8, 9. You, however, are not of the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God lives in you, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. So again, if you're truly, if you're truly God's child, 
and are currently hiding from him and you're cur or you're currently running from him, know this, his light, no matter how dim it is, no matter how dim it's burning inside of you, it will be exposed, especially in a dark place like Jonah was in. Again, especially if you've seen, heard, or experienced His Spirit of truth living in you and working through you. It'll be hard, almost impossible. If you've seen miracles, if you've, seen, if you've heard the Lord, you've seen Him come through, if you've seen Him do some amazing things in your life and in the lives of others, how could you deny that? How could you say, yeah, no, I'm, I'm good. My hope is if that's you, that you'll be willing to return to him before you find yourself in the pickle Jonah found himself in. Again, Jonah eventually, as a messenger, as a prophet of God, he couldn't hide. He couldn't hide very long and it just took probably a short nap and they found out about him or he, 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 be, he was exposed. All right, now let's uh, continue with the rest of the story. Picking up in verse 10. Then the men were seized by a great fear and said to him, What is this you've done? The men knew he was fleeing from the Lord's presence because he had told them. So they said to him, what should we do to you so that the sea will calm down for us? For the sea was getting worse and worse. He answered them, pick me up and throw me into the sea so that it will calm down for you. For I, for I know that I am to blame for this great storm that is against you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry, dry land, but they couldn't because the sea was raging against them more and more. So they called out to the Lord, Please, Lord, don't let us perish because of this man's life, and don't charge us with, the, with innocent blood, for you, Lord, have done just as you pleased. Then they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea. And the sea stopped its raging. The men were seized by great fear of the Lord, and they offered sacrifices to the Lord and made vows. What we see in these verses that we just read is an example of the phrase, desperate times require desperate measures. Once Jonah reveals his true identity and origin, everyone's reaction is completely changed. Verse 10 tells us that they were seized by great fear and because of that fear began to chastise him by essentially saying, now, again, look at it through their eyes. Having heard what Jonah had just said, they were like, Jonah, what did you just do? What in the world? What were you thinking? And can you just imagine just Jonah knowing, realizing 
right? Yeah, they're right. It seems that these pagan sailors seem to know the rules of relationship to God's better than Jonah. They know that it's because of his fleeing, of, of this fleeing, fleeing prophet that Yahweh is making the sea worse and worse. It made sense to them that the God who created the sea was punishing his servant, and that's why they were in danger. So by asking him, what should we do to you so that the sea will calm down for us, their hope was that some kind of sacrifice might appease God and calm the sea. Not similar to many today. This goes to show people's ignorance about God and the belief that salvation is dependent on outward works. Lord, if I do this, if I do that, if I sacrifice this for you, if I give up, you know, I don't know, my possessions, then, you, you know, you'll, may, will you pour out your grace? Will you save me? Will that, will that work? Again, they, uh, there was a dependence on outward works rather than on the grace of God. And what does God require? What does he want? He doesn't want the sacrifices. He wants our heart. He wants us. He wants us completely, all of us. He wants us to surrender every part of ourselves. So, in what Jonah believed was one final act of possible redemption for his disobedience, verse 12 tells us that he offers to sacrifice himself to save the entire crew. However, his confession of guilt fell short of what God wanted Jonah to understand. You see, he may have repented, he may have confessed, but here's where he went wrong. He's, here's where he fell short. Jonah's repentance and confession had only been directed towards the crew of the ship because he got caught, because he got discovered. And not only that, but he was also missing an important aspect in finding true restoration, asking and receiving forgiveness. Had he fallen on his knees, confessed, asked God to forgive him for his sins, for his sin of disobedience and running, of running, Jonah might have seen the storm cease and the door open to a great opportunity for witness on the ship. That wouldn't be until later, in the belly of the fish, that God would finally, that Jonah would finally get it. Yet, despite Jonah's confession of guilt, these pagan Gentiles had more scruples about sending a man to his death, man, sending a man to his death, and tried to row ashore instead. They knew Jonah had a serious problem. They knew there was some serious issues there but they didn't want to be held responsible for killing the, the prophet of such a powerful God. Even though they said, hey, what do we need to do to calm this storm? Again, suggesting, should we throw you overseas? They knew better. They, they knew that wouldn't appease 
God. And again, killing an innocent man in their eyes would have just, they knew it, it wasn't a good idea. So I have no doubt they did everything possible, uh, everything they possibly could, could do to keep him alive. But in each attempt, as hard as they tried, they couldn't get it done. It couldn't, the storm get, again, got just worse and worse. Although it's clear to us, to us, they weren't aware that God's hand was in all of this for a reason that only he knew and that Jonah would soon find out. Once again, after exhausting all options, verses 14 through 16 show us the difficult decision they had to, that had to be made, that, that was made by the entire crew. They prayed that the Lord would not hold them accountable for what they were about to do with Jonah. The integrity and spiritual sensitivity of these Gentiles, of these, heathen, of these heathen sailors, would have shocked Israelite readers of this book. Why? Because this would have confronted their belief that non-Hebrews were unworthy of God's mercy. A lesson that many Jews still have a hard time grasping to this day and certainly a lesson that Jonah himself needed to grasp. So let me ask you, do you see some familiar aspects with what's going on here and with another character in the Bible? Although Jonah and Jesus differ in many ways, there's some really stark differences clear differences between Jonah and Jesus. I want to share with you a couple of, of three similarities that I see. Like Jonah, Jesus had compassion. I don't believe for a single moment that Jonah wanted these men to die. And when he saw the hopelessness in their eyes, when he saw that they just were terrified about dying, he had compassion for them. This same kind of compassion, this is the same kind of compassion Jesus showed sinners as he hung on the cross. What, were one of, what, what, was, what was one of the things he said as he hung there? Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. He had compassion even at that moment. He loved us. He loved everyone that was there. As everyone was hurling insults, as everyone was just looking at him with, and scoffing and mocking him, he still loved them. He still had compassion. And to this day, he still has compassion. Even though, even for the worst of sinners, even for all those that you may, be, may have seen on TV protesting this past week. He still loves them all. He still, he died for all of them. Yes, I believe jo Jonah had compassion for these sailors. Like Jonah, 
Jesus willingly offered his life so that others may live. Jesus said in John chapter 10 verses 17 through 18, This is why the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own. I have the right to lay it down, and I have the right to take it up again. I have received this command from my Father. And in 2 Corinthians 5.15, Paul tells us, He died for all, so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. So you see, Jesus Christ knew that in order for you and I to have eternal life, he had to die for us. He had to sacrifice himself. Otherwise, just like those sailors on the ship, we all would have perished. We all would have died. He didn't have to. He could have said no after everything that he'd been through. After, again, walking in those three and a half years in, in his ministry, he could have been like, man, these people are, Lord, do with them whatever, whatever you want to do. I'm, I'm, I'm done. These people have given up. I've given up on them. But he didn't. Why? Why didn't he do that? Because of his great love for us. Because of his great love for you. John 15, 13 says, No one has greater love than this, to lay down his life for his friends. Romans 5, 8 also says, God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now the other similarity, the third similarity I see. Now, and let me just also say this, that throughout this book, we're going to see a lot of similarities. I'm just, right now, I'm just talking about, uh, you know, the second half here, verse, verse uh, chapter one. But throughout this book, we're going to see a lot more other similarities. But the other similarity I see here, like Jonah, Jesus was sacrificed by unbelievers so that they may become believers. When the sea calmed, these Gentile sailors were seized by a great fear of the Lord. They were so overpowered by the experience that they could do nothing but glorify God. They could do nothing but worship the Lord. Jonah, who was fleeing from a mission to preach to the Gentiles, had unintentionally converted an entire crew of Gentile sailors. Now, also let me just say that um, different scholars have different opinions about what happened here. But I do, I lean on the side that these sailors definitely experienced the Lord and they got to know him. They were converted. Notice also that the vows of the sailors came after they were delivered. Based on this, many commentators believe that the sailors came to know a true faith in God. Spurgeon preached a sermon a, with, with four wonderful points based on the actions of the crew 
in this chapter. His first point was this. Sinners, when they, when they are tossed upon the sea of conviction, make desperate efforts to save themselves. His second point, the fleshly efforts of awkward sinners must inevitably fail. His third point, the soul's sorrow will continue to increase as long as it relies on his, his, its own efforts. And his fourth point, the way of safety for sinners is found in the sacrifice of another on their own behalf. Well, the plan for me was to continue, to finish, to mention a few things here in verse 17, um, and to read it and to share with you just a few points about it. But with the remaining time we have, I, I think what I'm going to do is, is, is pick up next week in verse 17, because it is part of chapter 2, and, uh, and just share with you what I've, what I've noted here with those verses. Now, as I close here, let me ask you, are, are you a Jonah? Are you running? Are you hiding? If you are, if you're watching, if you're listening, and you're done, you want to come out of hiding, and you're done, you're tired of running, or if you just want, are ready to surrender your life to Jesus Christ and give Him everything because you know you've tried. You've tried worshiping other gods. You've tried to pray other gods, but you've realized that those are deaf gods. They don't listen to you. They don't hear you. And if they don't hear you and listen to you, they don't exist. And if they don't exist, then they don't love you. But let me tell you, there's a God who does. There's a God who loves you so much that he sent his son to die on the cross for your sins. And if you're ready to accept him, if you're ready to make him the Lord of your life, I want to just lead you in a short prayer. If, you, and if you're ready for that and you're ready to pray that, just uh, pray wherever you're at close your eyes and bow your head and just pray this with all sincerity Heavenly Father I know that I'm a sinner I admit I've fallen short I believe now that Jesus died on the cross for my sins and I come before the cross asking for forgiveness Forgive me, Lord, for everything that I've done to wrong you, all the sins that I've committed. I believe that Jesus is Lord. And I confess him now, Lord. ask now that you fill me with your Holy Spirit so that I may be born again Lord I want to be your child 
I believe because he died for me that I am. I receive your forgiveness, Lord. Make me new. Help me to walk according to your ways the rest of my life. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, thank you all. Um, think about what was mentioned here. Think about what, whether, again, there may be some similarities between you and Jonah here. And let me remind you again that eventually it all comes out. Eventually the Lord will come for you. So I'm going to pray one more time for everybody here. Let's close out the week, close out the night, or the, the, the day here. And, um, and yeah, please join me. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. Thank you for teaching us telling us about this amazing sea story, Lord. Jonah's sea story to remember. A sea story to remember. Lord, may we go home and continue to contemplate, continue to think about this story, these words, Lord, your word. And as it digs its way into our hearts, Lord, may it just be, may it just grow, and may we just draw closer to you, Lord. Keep everyone here safe, Lord. Keep them, keep their families, their friends safe. Protect them wherever they go. If they're traveling abroad, if they're traveling. To the other side of the state, Lord, keep them safe wherever they may be. We look forward to being with you one day, Lord. To one day embracing you. Thank you for all you've done in our lives. Thank you for being our, being our Savior. Again, keep us safe, Lord. Bless us next time we're about to have in fellowship, a fellowship, and it just be a great time of building each other up. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.